0: North Korea began this November in an unusual way, by launching nearly two dozen missiles in a single day. And then, just weeks later, the big one.
1: Breaking news overnight. North Korea test-fired an intercontinental ballistic missile. ballistic missile launched today, landed near Japanese waters. But experts
0: say the missile had range to strike the entire U.S. mainland, and U.S. officials were quick to respond. That missile landed in the sea, just 130 miles west of Japan. And clearly, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un wanted people to know this launch was special. So he brought along an unexpected guest.
2: Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, was there with his wife, and for the first time, his daughter, believed to be around nine years old.
0: These images appear to show them holding hands as they inspect a powerful intercontinental ballistic missile. Maybe it was bring your daughter to work day in North Korea. Or maybe she was there so he could send the message that he had finally launched the missile he'd been hoping for, something called the Wasong-17 missile, which is thought to be able to carry multiple warheads all the way to the U.S. Kim has been trying to get that one off the ground for years. And a team of open-source researchers we talked to earlier this year are skeptical that that November launch was successful. You see, They've been analyzing North Korean missile launches for years. And when the country claimed to have successfully launched this monster missile back in March, they had some doubts. So we thought, while we're on a short holiday hiatus so we can work on new episodes for next year, that we'd replay our chat with the team over at the Middlebury Institute in Monterey, California, to put this latest launch into context. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, so... So why are we talking to you today? I
2: have no earthly idea why you would want to talk to me. But if you make me guess, I would imagine it is some combination of being interested in all the horrific and terrifying things that North Korea is doing and being interested in the interesting ways that we go about tracking that.
0: That is exactly right. That is why we want to talk to you. Jeffrey Lewis is an arms control policy expert and the East Asia Director of the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Back in March, North Korea did one of those terrifying things. Breaking news, North Korea fired
1: a suspected long-range ballistic missile toward the sea this morning. It's first such
2: test since 2017. Violating several UN-issued sanctions. Officials Japanese say- <laughs> officials said it flew 1,100 kilometres and fell in Japanese waters. This type of missile is designed to carry nuclear warheads and could reach the United States.
0: North Korea has been testing two kinds of ballistic missiles a short-range one they say they'd use on U.S. forces should they ever invade from South Korea or Japan, and another long-range missile they call the Wasong-17. People in the non-proliferation community, like Jeffrey, have a nickname for it, the Monster Missile.
2: This is a missile that can take not just one, but many warheads all the way from North Korea to the United States.
0: So back on March 24th, the North Koreans announced that they'd successfully test-launched the big one, And they got so giddy about it, they released this video. And this is the actual music from it.
2: They had Kim Jong-un, like, looking dramatically at his watch, wearing crazy sunglasses. You know, it was this really overproduced video to say that the missile had worked.
0: The video is unintentionally hilarious. Kim Jong-un is wearing a Top Gun-like leather jacket and he's walking in slow motion. He's flanked on either side by two generals and an enormous mobile launch vehicle is slowly trailing along behind them. The video shows the missile powering up and then about four minutes in, lift off. There's smoke, the missile rises into the air, the music swells, and then the camera cuts to Kim and a bunch of generals punching the air and applauding. The whole production suggests that the great leader has created a missile that will allow him to threaten, really threaten, the U.S. with nuclear war. But Jeffrey Lewis and his team of satellite analysts aren't so sure everything is as it first appears.
2: Yeah, I know, this is so confusing. Does this look right? It's very difficult to verify anything. This is sparking our interest. This doesn't seem like it matches.
0: I'm Dina Templerest, and this is Click Here, a podcast about the world of cyber and intelligence. Today, a story about a North Korean missile launch, a team of satellite image specialists, and a painstaking search for the truth. Jeffrey's team will publicly reveal why they believe that North Korea's monster missile launch in March was an elaborate ruse. And the way they found it may surprise you. So how did you catch this? It's a really good question
2: how one goes about noticing something like this. I think there probably has to be something slightly wrong with you.
0: (laughs) Stay with us.
1: If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to record.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she? And will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
2: You are listening to the Arms Control Wong Podcast, a podcast on arms control, disarmament, and nonproliferation. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Lewis, a professor at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey.
0: The audience for Jeffrey's podcast is a bit self-selecting. He has experts and grad students talk about the secret doings of nuclear states, and North Korea is a perennial topic. They talk about the latest missile launches.
2: This ended up being fing missile week.
0: Joke about the great leader's smoking habits. We
2: well, were smoking again, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's back to smoking. He was in his and the continuous theme, running through it all.
2: We know that North Korea doesn't always tell us the truth.
0: What may be more surprising is that Jeffrey views these propaganda films, like the one that came out at the end of March, as incredibly instructive. Because when you catch someone in a lie,
2: then you've learned something really interesting about what they care about. You know what they want you to think, and you know what they want you to not know.
0: Like, for example, Korean leader Kim Jong-un's preoccupation with a particular part of his anatomy.
2: Well, my favorite thing that North Korea loves to lie about, which they've stopped doing, so I'm a little disappointed, but they always used to adjust the size of Kim Jong-un's ears. Apparently the man thinks his ears are too big. Or at least he did. Uh, they've given up on doing that, but we would just see image after image after image when they had made his ears a little bit smaller. and I, I I don't know why you would do that. but but they did.
0: so he clearly cares about his ears.
2: He clearly cares about his ears. Yes,
0: it seems Kim wants the world to think he has delicate little ears. His ears look totally
2: normal to me. I don't I don't <laughs> I don't see what the problem is, but, you know, maybe you should see a therapist about
0: that. Kim's latest video does tell us one thing about the great leader. He is still incredibly focused on missiles and their size. Though those productions actually only reveal so much. So to see what's really going on, Jeffrey and his team zoom out and they turn to satellites to help fill in the blanks.
2: Tiny inexpensive earth imaging powerhouses delivering data on demand.
0: That's a promotional video from Planet Labs, one of the hundreds of satellite companies now offering clients snapshots and panoramas of the Earth.
2: Our constellation of nearly 200 Earth observation satellites currently orbiting Earth is the largest ever. And we've amassed.
0: A right behind Planet, in terms of sheer coverage, is the Chinese Ministry of Defense. Satellite reconnaissance today can offer everything from a glimpse into the black boxes of reclusive regimes to the strength of an enemy force. Satellites were once only the purview of governments and spy agencies. Now business people, environmentalists, and researchers like Jeffrey can look at imagery of the past to inform the future. One
2: of the things that's changed about satellite imagery over the past decade or two is now there is so much of it. And with so much of it, you actually kind of get some choices.
0: You can choose from high-resolution images to make out cars and even individuals, or moderate-resolution, so a building shows up but a car would look like a smudge. But these choices have trade-offs. High-resolution images only give you a picture of a very small area.
2: It is like looking at the earth through a drinking straw.
0: So you need to know exactly what you're looking for, and exactly where to look. Moderate-resolution is a little more forgiving. For example, a satellite company like Planet.
2: They try to take a picture of the whole Earth every day at about three meters in resolution. And so that gives you a ton of coverage. It becomes a
0: kind of time-lapse photography.
2: So what you try to do is try to watch all the moderate resolution stuff that you're getting all the time so that you know to say, oh, hey, look, something's interesting
0: happening here. And then you ask the satellite company to take a high-resolution picture there. That's what happened a couple of years ago, when pictures came out of Kim Jong-un touring this factory, where it was believed North Korea was making crucial parts for short-range ballistic missiles. One of the images had Kim looking at this map that suggested the plant was about to undergo a huge expansion. So Lewis and the Middlebury team now had a place to look. A huge expansion of the plant, if it were true, would be an important thing for the world to know it would mean that North Korea was stepping up its short- and medium-range ballistic missile programs. But what if it was a head fake, like Kim's ears? So Lewis and the team started to dig.
2: When we when we found the place he visited, they had not started the expansion yet. So it was just this tiny, tiny, tiny little facility.
0: So they tasked a high-resolution satellite, the one with that soda straw view, to take pictures over the course of several months of North Korea knocking down buildings at the plant, and building new ones. And then Jeffrey and his team told the world. Uh,
2: This expansion is
0: happening. When he's at the Institute in Monterey, Jeffrey tends to sit in the graduate research assistant room.
2: I don't work in my office. I have a very nice office. Um, It has a lot of books in it. The one thing it does not have are the other human beings that I need. To be successful and feel fulfilled at work.
0: He's put together a kind of super smart team America.
2: Yeah, my name is Lisa Levina. I'm also a graduate research assistant here.
3: Stephen Delafuente, John Ford,
0: Trisha White. I'm Michael Dutzman. You're Ben, right? Yes. And they called you Mr. Computer.
1: A <laughs> Walking Computer, I Walk-in think Trisha computer.
0: said. <laughs> their superpower is microanalysis. The uncanny ability to see those little things, the incremental changes and then give them meaning. And, like Team America, they specialize. Lisa Lavina speaks Korean and models rockets. Tricia White, among other things, finds clues in social media. John Ford has this incredible ability to remember if he's seen something before and then actually place it
1: something that just came out earlier today to John. And I'm like, oh, like Kim Jong-un is sitting at a really big table. And he's like, oh, is that in this place? And I'm like, yes it is. is because he knows that exact table. He knows what places in North Korea where they would meet to have a certain type of meeting and have a really big table and what those pictures kind of look like.
0: Pretty cool ability. And they're always asking questions like,
1: What is normal? What is expected? What is weird?
0: When we come back, how Lewis and his team caught Kim Jong-un in a big lie. Stay with us. Politics has
2: never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your
4: podcasts.
1: My name is Ben. Uh, my background is actually a little bit weird in some ways for a lot of people in this field because I come from more of a STEM engineering background. Do you than have a last name, Ben? Mueller. Ben yeah. Mueller. <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
0: Yeah. That's Ben Mueller, the so-called human computer. And he's one of the researchers at the Middlebury Institute in Monterey. He and his colleagues are constantly looking at satellite imagery and then cross-referencing it with lots of open source information. A lot of
1: the long-term projects we have is process of we note down to sites that we want to pay attention to and we might go back to it and look at what's the new satellite imagery every few weeks, right?
0: So how do you know what to look for?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a really good question because if you if you don't know what you're looking for and you're just open to whatever is happening, you can interpret things that are just normal as, as being wrong. You can
0: look at a... So the team makes a point of looking at regularly updated satellite images over extended periods so they can see changes over time.
1: Long-term, like, let's go back, not just look at it now, let's look at it five years ago, let's look at it ten years ago, let's look at it um, from whatever information we can get available. And that's where, as well, like, working together as a team and bouncing ideas off each other, like, is this something that makes sense, or am I just reading into it, right? A lot of that is is the collaborative part of open source really matters.
0: When Jeffrey first started watching North Korea back in the 90s, Its nuclear ambitions were a bit of a joke.
2: We thought they wanted a nuclear weapon, but it wasn't all that clear that they could actually get to the point of having one. And it was a threat that we kind of thought of as being abstract and a thing we'd like to prevent, but not something that felt pressing.
0: Turns out a lot of people were wrong about that. It was pressing. And today, North Korea has an extremely large and well-developed missile program.
2: They used to name the missiles after local places. Pretty soon they ran out of towns and just started numbering them. Uh, and we're up into the 30s now. And North Korea has done six nuclear tests. And so, at least for someone like me, there is no doubt that North Korea can put a nuclear warhead on a missile and send it all the way to the United States.
0: But the U.S. can deal with that. It gets more complicated if there is more than one warhead on a missile, which is exactly what North Korea is working on.
2: And What they really want to do is put multiple warheads in the missile so that they can overwhelm our missile defenses.
0: And the Wasong Monster Missile was designed to do that. Except...
2: This guy Colin Zwerko was the first person who said, I, I don't think this is right.
0: Zwerko is a senior correspondent for NK News based in Seoul.
2: And that's music to our ears. Because that is that is like waving a red flag at a bull. And And my whole team was like, well, let's check that out.
3: There are tools online that you can use to measure the angle of the sun at a particular time of day and determine which direction the shadow should fall.
0: That's Michael Dusman. He kind of specializes in measuring shadows. So he looked at another North Korean missile launch just days before on March 16th.
3: We could compare the direction the shadow would fall at the two different launch times and determine how that compared with what was seen in the video.
0: They realized the video was made using footage from two different launches.
3: I do remember being in the office and Jeffrey slamming his hand on the desk and thinking this was like a really big deal. <laughs> Is that true? Does he yeah. slam his hand on the desk a lot? Occasionally.
1: Well, <laughs> okay, right? like in, in a good excitement, right? right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jeffrey pulled up an image from the North Korean video to give me an idea of how they pieced it together. It's a wide angle shot from above. A few scattered buildings, some trees, a road, and a long, dark blob, which pretty quickly, you understand, looks a lot like that launch truck in the propaganda film.
2: The first image, the truck is sitting on the road at kind of a funny angle. And if you look really closely, you can see this white spot, and that's the missile standing up on end.
0: It almost looks like a microphone lying on its side with a little sort of white dot at the end.
2: Yes, that's a, eh, you should be in radio. (laughs) And what's notable about this is there's enough detail in this drone image that you can tell exactly where on the road this truck is. And you can see that it, again, it's at this kind of slightly funny angle.
0: Then he shows me the second image from Planet Labs. It's a satellite picture from March 16th, almost 10 days before the Wasung 17 launch was supposed to have happened.
2: And it's a very high resolution image. And It's of exactly the same spot. You can see all the same buildings. You can see the same fields. The road looks the same. Even the damage to the road is identical. And you can really see that detail. And the truck is gone, but there's a a black kind of smear. And that smear is the burn scar.
0: The kind of burn you get from a fiery missile launch.
2: It's a kind of half a rectangle because the burn mark traces the outline of the truck. It's almost like you went and looked at Kim Jong-un and, and you asked him like, hey, did you eat those brownies? And he says, no, I don't know who did it, but he's got chocolate smeared all over his face. I mean, it's just such a perfect
0: giveaway. But here's the thing. When Lewis and his team go back to the satellite images from March 24th, the day the North Koreans say they successfully launched the monster missile, those burn marks... Aren't there.
2: And I don't see any evidence that it was
0: launched. No evidence of a launch either that day or in that place. So, how do you launch a monster missile without leaving a trace? That started them thinking.
2: We had already looked at the position of the sun in the video.
0: But that didn't add up either. The launch on the 24th was supposed to be in the afternoon, but the position of the sun in the video suggested it was filmed in the morning. And then there was this issue of the way the monster missile was actually flying. Nothing like the team had expected.
3: We had built a model of the Huasang 17 a numerical model.
0: That's Michael Dutzman again.
3: And knowing what we did about the engine and the propellants and everything else, we expected it to accelerate at a certain rate, and it did not. Ex- it accelerated slower than that, which was kind of a red flag. Either our model was wrong or there was something wrong with the missile.
2: It's really this kind of really chaotic iterative process where what you're trying to do is pull in all this data and compare it, organize it, try to make it make some sense, realize what you're missing, and then go get that data. And you just kind of do it over and over and over again.
0: Jeffrey says that while he may be slamming desks with his fists at various moments in the process— There's rarely an aha moment. What
2: more likely happens is you start to realize what the answer is. You know, there's almost a kind of gravity that the truth has, where it's clear that one answer is simpler than the others. One answer explains all the evidence pretty well.
0: So the results of the team's investigation pointed to this. They tested two missiles in March. One that worked and one that didn't.
2: The simplest answer is that they launched the big one. On the 16th, they filmed it, Kim Jong-un was there, but it blew up, so they couldn't announce it. So they came back a few days later, they launched a different missile that they were pretty sure would work.
0: Then they released a big, splashy video.
2: In order to imply it had worked.
0: Lewis said he doesn't know where exactly they launched the second, smaller missile from, but it obviously wasn't from the same spot with the burn marks that the satellite images captured. The
2: secret sauce in looking at imagery are the signatures. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, great, here's a picture or a video of a missile launcher. But it's all the little things that go with it, like burn marks and the trailers in the background and the vehicles that are in the background that help over time to develop a real sense about what's going on.
0: That's John Lauder. He used to serve as director of the CIA's Non-Proliferation Center.
2: And I'm, I'm a believer in those capabilities and what folks like Jeffrey Lewis are doing. The downside is, of course, well, it starts to reveal a bit about how one goes about looking like imagery and helps maybe the North Koreans being a little smarter next time, putting together videos that might give something away.
0: Lauder says next time around, Kim's team of propagandists might be a bit smarter. And what worries me is if you talk to South Koreans, when you ask them
2: about these tactical nuclear weapons, they say, well, South Korea has conventional missiles, and so the best thing to do is before Kim Jong-un uses his tactical nuclear weapons, we can use our conventional missiles to kill him.
0: But of course, that logic has an inherent flaw.
2: So we are in a situation where North Korea looks at its security and its nuclear weapons and says, in a crisis, we have to go first. And the South Koreans look at their conventional missiles and the North Korean nuclear threat, and they say, in a crisis, we have to go first. They both plan on going first, and one of them is wrong about that.
0: Kim Jong-un may have given up on making his ears look smaller, but he's unlikely to shake his obsession with the Wasong 17. Jeffrey says eventually he's going to get that missile to succeed. And one
2: of the things I'm concerned about is
0: we're not really
2: emotionally ready to have that conversation.
0: This is Click Here. Yan Lo Wang is a name from Chinese mythology. He was the ruler of hell. And it also happens to be the name of a ransomware group. They broke into Cisco and Walmart last year. But the group ran into a little trouble recently. Someone leaked some of their chat logs to the world. And Jambul Tologanov, a cybersecurity researcher over at Trellix, took a deep dive into their messages. And he says they revealed some very interesting things.
4: I downloaded the uh, logs, and the first thing that I have noticed that all the conversations were in Russian.
0: Which is kind of weird if your name is Yanlo Wang. Though Jambul said cybersecurity researchers had pretty much already decided that they were Russian hackers who were just pretending to be Chinese.
4: We know that Yongling One was discovered last year around October by Symantec, and they were involved in mainly hacking high-profile Western organizations.
0: It turns out these kinds of chat logs are a goldmine. Earlier this year, the chat logs from a ransomware group called Conti were leaked, and it provided all kinds of clues about how they were organized, what kinds of hacking tools they used, and how they interact with other ransomware groups. Jambool figured this latest bunch of chat logs, leaked via Twitter in late October, could provide the same sort of intelligence on Yan Lo Wang. And I asked him how this kind of research works.
4: So what's the first thing you do? The first thing is um, to download the original messages. And then um, I I usually write a Python script because then it's easier to read for me Russian uh, messages.
0: John Bull is originally from Kazakhstan.
4: And also I, I try to put them in a uh, chronological order to have a good understanding who's talking with whom.
0: And after he does this with Yan Lu Wong chats, it very quickly becomes clear that a key guy in the group is someone who goes by the name Saint.
4: We don't know who Saint is, but um, based on what I observed, he's, it seems to be he's the lead or boss of Yan Lu Wang.
0: Group. What gave him that idea? Because Saint talks about paying someone else's salary. And he's telling someone how they should design the page where the group posts information they've stolen, and Saint, it turns out, isn't just a Yan Lo Wong guy.
4: And we've managed to actually locate other monikers or nicknames of his. So one of them is uh, Sailor Morgan 32. That was very interesting discovery because uh, we knew that Sailor Morgan 32 last year he uh, posted on the dark web that they've managed to hack SonicWall.
0: SonicWall, that was a big hack from last year. SonicWall specializes in firewalls for virtual private networks, basically security for your VPN. And cracking into them means that hackers were able to break into all kinds of organizations that use their security products. And Saint claimed in the chats that the SonicWall hat made them lots of money.
4: He claimed they've managed to get uh, $5 million, uh, from the organization. We don't know, obviously, if the claim is true or not.
0: Researchers like Jambul love to analyze these kinds of leaked chats because it allows them to observe hackers with their guards down. And it gives a view of how these ransomware groups not just work internally, but how various groups fit together. Jambul said that the pool of hackers isn't huge,
4: and they seem to all know each other. They have good channels of talking with each other, communicating, and finding the way of uh, exchanging some intelligence. That is quite fascinating for me.
0: What always strikes me as crazy about these leaks is that these hackers don't encrypt their messages, which you'd think is Hacker
4: 101. That was quite also an interesting thing for me. Um, that in that way, at least some part of the messages would have been encrypted. And then it, for me as a security researcher, it would have been very difficult to construct um, the context. What was the conversation about? And here it was just... As soon as you pre-process the messages and put in the chronological order, as a Russian speaker, you can easily read it.
0: When the Conti leaks came out earlier this year, everyone said it would spell the end of the group. And that isn't exactly what happened. There's an assumption that the group just broke apart and found other people and other ways to continue their operations. Jambul says that, He doesn't think these leaks will put much of a dent into Yan Wang's core operation either.
4: Um, The operation halted and their leak page is uh, not available at the moment. They'll probably just join other ransomware groups.
0: And live to hack another day. This is Click Here. some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. Hackers are taking advantage of all that turmoil at Twitter, according to new research from cybersecurity company Proofpoint. One of the new Elon Musk features is having users pay a monthly $8 fee to receive a blue verification check. So allegedly, it proves that you are who you say you are. A short time later, researchers saw a huge increase in phishing campaigns targeting media and entertainment groups, celebrities, journalists, and other notable users who typically have that blue check. The phishing campaigns tried to entice users to enter their username and their password as part of a billing regime for the new service. The report was released shortly after Twitter's engineering team was gutted, and the platform's multi-factor authentication systems had been on the fritz. The Record reported this week that the Civil Contingencies Committee, the cabinet committee that's supposed to deal with major crises in the United Kingdom, has been snowed under with ransomware incidents. This year, ransomware accounted for 18 nationally coordinated responses because, among other things, hackers targeted a water utilities company and a software supplier for the National Health Service. Sources told The Record it shows how little progress has been made on ransomware prevention in the UK. And finally, a small island country in the South Pacific has been scrambling to respond to a cyber attack that's knocked out email and government services for more than a week. Vanuatu, which is home to some 300,000 people and is considered one of the happiest countries on Earth, according to the Happy Planet Index, is decidedly less so since a cyber attack hit in early November. The hackers decided to strike less than a month after the election of a new government, which is a favorite time for hackers to strike. The Sydney Morning Herald reported that Vanuatu refused to pay a ransom, so hackers responded by disrupting essential services, including tax collection, police, hospitals, and schools. Australian cyber police are helping Vanuatu rebuild its networks. It's unclear who took aim at such a happy place. Click Here is a production of the Record by Recorded Future. I'm Dena Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director. Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Okulski are our editors, and Darren Ankrum is our fact checker. Ben Levingston composes our theme, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us by email at clickhereatrecordedfuture.com or on our website at clickhereshow.com. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and we'll have something a little different for you next Tuesday. And we'll see you then.
1: Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.